You know, we're, uh, we're kind of cresting over the, uh, over the hill of this sermon series. It's a shorter series, four-week series titled, What's True About You? And uh, we've been taking this from the angle that identity theft is something we're all familiar with in regards to people stealing your personal information and trying to profit from that. But there's another identity theft that's taken place, and uh, it took place way back in the garden, way back at the time of the fall, when our identity, which was meant to be rooted and grounded in who God says that we are, got misplaced and got misdirected. And ever since then, we've been surrounded by a world and a culture, and especially today, it seems to be louder and faster uh, as it speaks to us and tells us things that aren't always true about us. And if we're not careful, we can begin to believe some lies about ourselves, that our identity or our value or our worth is wrapped up in what we can do or what we can produce or who we know or what political party we are affiliated with or what uh, other ways we may choose to identify or find groups uh, where we have some commonality. But the truth and what's true about you is what God says is true. About you, And that's what we've been focusing on for the last couple of weeks, seeking to replace the world's lies with God's truths. And we've talked about the importance of power narratives, these very powerful things that we can tell ourselves and reinforce to ourselves and tell to our children and tell to the people that we interact with on a regular basis that are powerful and they, they change or they shape our identity. And so we've been looking at power narratives or big ideas uh, with, with the idea that once we see as God sees, we'll be more likely to do as he says. That when we see ourselves as God sees us, when we see God as he truly is, when we start to see each other the way God sees the people around us, then we will do as he says. Because all sin and all, all falling short has to do with not understanding who we are, who God is, or who somebody else is. And when we see those things as they truly are, we will be in line with God and we will move in his ways and for his purposes and for his glory. So last, uh, last week, I'm sorry, the first week, uh, we started this all off with your core identity that you are a beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. You are a beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. And I believe really, really strongly in repeating these on a regular basis. I think I said that first week that one of the best things you could do at the end of this series would be to write these out, to take the time to write them out, to slow down and write them out word for word every day for a week, every week for a month, every month for the rest of your life, basically, to remind yourself who you are. And we talk about these all the time in our family. We talk about them in the mornings with our kids, and we're teaching them and helping them to root their identity in what God says about them and who God says that they are. And then last week we looked at a bottom line or or this affirmation, this thing that's true about you that says that you are safe and secure in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God, which is never in trouble. And we walked through scripture each week and saw where these are coming right out of God's word and what he is saying to us and what he is saying about us and what he wants us to understand. So if you're tracking with us, week one was who you are, week two was where you are, and today we're going to look at who is with you. If you picked up from the the third and fourth song there in the worship, we're talking about this idea that Jesus is with us all the time, that you are never alone And you are never lost because Jesus is with you and he's not lost. And that is good news. 
That is good news. A couple of different ideas there. One, that you're never alone, and two, that you're never lost. And you're never alone, and this applies to all of us in the sense that, that God loves this world and everyone in it so much that he is pursuing every single person in this room, every single person in this community, every single person on earth. God is that hound of heaven relentlessly pursuing because he desires that none should perish. And he is pursuing every person that you know. He is pursuing you if you have not yet come to a salvation experience with him, come to a saving relationship with him. And second, that you are not lost because he's with you and he's not lost. And if you're with someone who knows where they are, you're, you're not lost. And I remember on my first mission trip, I kind of you know, went all in, all right? Some, sometimes you take your mission trip and you go to another state. I, I took my mission trip, my first mission trip, and I went to China. And I got on a plane and I flew to Hong Kong. And we spent a couple days in Hong Kong to kind of get over the jet lag and all of that. And then we got on a bus and we took a transfer up to an airport in Guangzhou. And I still had a pretty good idea where I was. Guangzhou is this major, major city, 20 million people, huge, massive airport. I knew where I was. We got on a plane, we flew to a, a smaller city, about five to six million people called Nanning. I'd never heard of Nanning before, but I knew we were in western China somewhere. And then we got uh, on a bus the next day, and we drove for four hours into a town called Dahua. I had no idea where Dahua was. And that was a town of 250,000 people. Um, And I never really got too nervous because the people who were driving the bus knew where we were, and they knew where we were going. And day after day, we got into that little bus, and we went up into these remote areas to find these small village churches, some unregistered, some registered, and we met with people, and then we made it back every night. And so while I couldn't have made it anywhere on my own, I was never lost and I was never alone because the people I was with knew where we were, knew where we were going, knew the end of the story. And that's a good example of how you can't be lost if you're with somebody who knows where they are. And we can take comfort in that today. As we have the last couple of weeks, we're going to kind of walk through Scripture and see where this idea that we are not alone comes from. And the Scriptures will be on the screen. If you're new to us, we don't always do this. Usually I want you to be in your Bible. I want you to have a copy of God's Word open in front of you, whether you do that on an iPad or an iPhone or you grab one of the Bibles in the seats in front of you and you read God's Word in your hands. Uh, But For now, because we're looking at so many different passages of Scripture and moving very quickly through them, they are on the screens. I want you to give your full attention to God's Word, not to trying to find it in a Bible. This starts way back in Deuteronomy 31, verses 6 and 8. And this is as Moses is about to to depart and about to, uh, to die. He addresses the people of Israel and Joshua specifically. Joshua is going to replace him as the leader of the people of Israel. And he says this, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, the enemies that you'll encounter. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I'm going to skip verse 7 and go right into verse 8, which repeats it. And I, I, I always want to encourage you when you're reading your Bible and you see God repeat something in his word multiple times in a short span to pay attention to that. Because it's something that we must be likely to forget if God goes to the effort to repeat it again. He says in verse 8, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be discouraged. And so that's Moses in a, in a situation similar to this, maybe a large group of people, one person speaking, and Moses is speaking these things to the people of God. 
The next passage I want to look at is just a few pages over in Joshua 1.9, and this is God speaking directly to Joshua. And maybe you've had this experience where you heard somebody say something to you that God was speaking to you through another person, and then you encountered something for yourself as God spoke directly to you in the quiet moments of your life and the quiet uh, of your time with him and maybe with his word. In Joshua 1.9, God visits Joshua and he says in verse 5, he'll be with you and, and as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Then in verse 9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God is promising and speaking directly to Joshua now. And last week we looked at Psalm 23, verse 4. We're going to look at it again today. Last week we looked at it in the context of not being afraid because we are safe and secure in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. And these are all related to each other, that when our identity is in who God says we are, then our residence takes place in his kingdom, which is safe and secure and and will not perish and is never in trouble. And now we can see the, the relationship between our safety and security because of who is with us. And David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we started with Moses speaking to a large assembly and to Joshua. Then we have God speaking directly to Joshua. And now we have an example of David speaking to God, but probably speaking to himself as well. Reminding himself, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I won't be afraid. Because I know who I am, I know where I am, and I know who is with me. Then God speaks to the prophet Isaiah. And I think I, I chose this one because Isaiah prophesied at a time when many in Israel and many who were called the people of God were feeling very distant from God, feeling like God was silent. And God was speaking to them through his prophets. And he says to the nation of Israel, to the faithful of Israel, through the prophet Isaiah in 41.10, he says, Do not fear. I am with you. Even when it feels like I'm not, don't be afraid. I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Another page over in 43, verses 1 through 5. Some of my favorite words in all of Scripture. This has been on the bottom of my email for the last seven or eight years since these words crashed into my soul and just really mixed things up and helped me to see how precious I was to God. He says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. If you've ever bought a a house, you buy that house and you pay for the mortgage or you put the money down on the house and that house gets titled in your name. That's the same thing that's taking place when God redeems you, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you step into his kingdom and you step into a relationship with him, he redeems you. He retitles you, so to speak. I've redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. There it is again. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Over and over and over, God tells us don't be afraid. And over and over and over, he tells us why. Because he's with us. Because he's with us. And he says the same to Jeremiah. He says the same to Daniel. We see it in the, in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being cast into the fiery furnace. And there with them in the fire is Jesus, the pre-incarnate Son of God, 
Over and over in the Old Testament, we see this. I don't have time or space to share all of these with you. But then when we turn the the pages into the New Testament, into the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ, right there at the beginning, the first chapter of the New Testament, we read that the promise from Isaiah 7, 14 has been fulfilled. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's not just a promise figuratively anymore. It's, it's a promise fulfilled. It's a promise that I am coming to you. I am sending myself in the presence of my son, Jesus Christ, into this world to be God with you. John writes it this way. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and came and dwelt among us. God with us powerfully. And the final pages. The final verse, rather, of Matthew's gospel, Jesus makes this declaration as he commissions us and tells us that we are to go into all the world and we are to make disciples and we are to teach them everything that he commanded us. He says this, the last phrase of Matthew's gospel says, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I always wanted to find Shirley so that I could hang out with her because Jesus is with Shirley, right? No, that's just a joke. It's what we call pastoral humor. It's not a contradiction in terms. But he's with us. And the bookends of Matthew's gospel make it clear that Jesus is the promise fulfilled and that just because he has died and risen and is is the conquering king ascending into heaven doesn't mean that he's leaving us behind. That he came to be God with us, the exact representation of everything that the Father is. And he remains with us and he continues with us. And Paul, in his letters, 15 different times will invoke the presence of God, the presence of Jesus, the presence of the Spirit, the grace of God to be with his people, to be with the church, to be with the fellowship of believers. And then in the final page of Scripture, in Revelation 21.3, the promise becomes cemented and permanent forever. As John records the revelation, at the end of all things, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's a promise for all eternity. It's the glorious hope that we have in Jesus. It's the glorious hope that we have in an eternity spent with him, in unbroken fellowship with Christ. So from the very, very beginning to the the very, very end of Scripture, we see this constant refrain from God, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. I will always be with you. And if I can share personally, Maybe you're like me, and you believe it, and you agree with it, and it makes total sense. And, and I found myself seven or eight years into ministry, not that long ago, believing that, preaching that, studying that, counseling people with that assurance. God's with you. God's with you, even when it's hard, even in this, the difficult times. And yet I found myself through a variety of circumstances, through a variety of things that took place in a couple of seasons of pretty deep depression and pretty deep disillusionment. And at the end of the second one, I was pretty sure that I had botched it somehow, that I had, I had missed it all up. And I'm still in ministry and I'm still preparing sermons and I'm still leading other people in ministry and, and doing all of those things. And I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was in the right place. But I became convinced that I had I had 
shipwrecked God's vision for my life somehow. And I came to the end of myself and to the end of the assurance that God was with me. And I learned an important lesson that sometimes the longest 18 inches in the world is the distance between your head and your heart. And that what I knew and understood intellectually wasn't rooted in my heart. There's a difference, and we've talked about it a number of different times, between believing in God and really believing God. And I was believing in the promises, that they were rock-solid promises, but I wasn't believing them myself. And fortunately, my wife recognized that something was seriously amiss and encouraged me to do something I'd been thinking about doing for some time, which was to take a a week-long retreat in a silent monastery, a place where nobody would talk to me and I wouldn't talk to anybody for, for five days. And some of you are cringing, thinking, oh my gosh, how did you do that? And others of you are leaning in and saying, oh, where was that? How do I go there? Well, I've always been sort of ministered to by time and silence and solitude, but I had not been spending much time in silence and solitude with God. And, and fortunately, I was able to go and, and have this experience. And in the first day, God got a hold of me, and God reminded me that he was absolutely with me and that he was not lost. And if he was with me and he was not lost, then I was not lost. And so in the wilderness of Kentucky and several thousand acres that surrounded an ancient, I say ancient, it was about 150 years old, Catholic monastery, I rediscovered God. I rediscovered him going on hikes and walks, long walks. I rediscovered him in the pages of scripture. I rediscovered him in other books that I read and prayers that I prayed. And, and I rediscovered God and reacquainted myself with him. And I remember writing in my journal that Christ is the constant. Christ is the constant in my life. He has always been there. He is here now. He will always be there. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. And it was liberating. And it was freeing. And it was encouraging. And it was strengthening to me. And ever since then, I have reminded myself regularly that I am never alone. And I am never lost. Because Jesus is always with me. And he's never lost. And so I don't know if I'm sharing this today for you because you're there right now or you can think of a time in your life when you have been there or because perhaps someday you'll come to a similar set of circumstances and and you may come to doubt that God is with you, that God is for you, that he knows where this is all headed. And my hope and prayer is that you'll be reminded that you are never lost and you are never alone because he's always with you and he's never lost. And so in the few moments that we have left, I want to talk about some of the implications of this truth that we've seen rock solid in Scripture, that God is with you. The first implication, and I don't know if you ever play this good news, bad news game. Do you want the good news first or the bad news first? How many of you like to take the bad news first? I kind of like to take the bad news first. Let's finish with the good news, finish on a good note. Well, the bad news is you're never alone, right? You're not getting anything past God. You're not fooling him. He is intimately aware of every aspect of your life, and you're not sneaking anything past him. He knows. And this hasn't always been the most comforting thought for me. In my BC days, my before Christ days, I kind of had this idea that as long as most of the people thought I was a pretty good person, that I was okay. And so this idea that God was always with me and that he saw everything that I did and heard every thought that I had wasn't very comforting. 
But that's the same as the good news. As we transition from the bad news that you're not getting anything past him that he knows, the good news is that he knows everything about you and he loves you. And that before you have ever done anything for him, he has loved you and you have been the object of his love. And he desires that we would come in line with his will and his ways because they're better, because they're good for us. He doesn't want you to not sin because he's against fun and he's against enjoying things. He doesn't want you to sin because he knows that sin ultimately is bad for you. It separates you from him. It separates you from other people. It separates you from the best version of yourself. And so when God calls us back to himself and calls us to a higher uh, engagement with him and calls us to live holy lives, it's not because he doesn't want us to have any fun. It's because he recognizes there's a big difference between the temporary fun that we think we may be having in sin and the joy that is available in him and in relationship with him and in unbroken fellowship with him. And when we see him as he truly is, and we see that he has been right there, he is right there, and he will always be right there, then we long to allow nothing to break that fellowship with him. We long that nothing would cause us to separate ourselves from him or from his people or from the best version of ourselves. And so the good news is that you are not alone, even when it feels like you're alone, and you're not alone in feeling alone. You see, the the power of this truth is, is found in the fact that when we think we're alone, we either do things we ought not do or we don't do things that we should do. Does that make sense? When we feel like we're alone, we either lack the boldness to do the thing that we ought to do that we know God is calling us to do because we're not sure he's with us, or we do something that we shouldn't do because we think we're alone in that moment. And when we start to realize and really believe that he is with us, that he is for us, that he knows where we are and he knows where we're going, then we do the good that we ought to do and we don't do the bad that we ought not do. It's empowering to recognize that he is with us and that he is for us and that we are never, ever alone and you're never ever lost even when it feels like you're lost even when the circumstances have caused you to become completely disoriented and you can't get your bearings we're meant to find our bearings in him in that moment and to find our strength and our purpose and our calm assurance that he is with us and he knows he knows where we're going he knows how the story ends he knows that this is just a snapshot This is just the halftime score, that there is more to the story and that all will be worked together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so as we've seen from Scripture, he was with Moses and he was with Abraham and he was with Noah and he was with Joshua. He was with David and he was with Isaiah and he was with the prophets. He was with Gideon and Elijah and Samuel. Over and over, the pages that we read in the Old Testament, he was with them. And as we flip into the New Testament, he was with Joseph, and he was with Mary, as they went through a very difficult circumstance just to bring the Savior of God into the world. And he was with John the Baptist as he began to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that something new is happening, that a new reality is coming into this earth. And then he was with Peter, And he was with James, and he was with Paul. He was with John on the Isle of Patmos. He was with the martyrs and the evangelists as they spread the good news of God with us, of God on a cosmic rescue mission for every single person on the face of the earth. And he's been with you every moment of your life, and he always will be. The promise was not that it would all be easy and it would all be fun 
and nothing bad would ever happen. And there is a gospel of an imaginary God that never lets anything bad happen to anybody. And as soon as something bad happens, we give up faith in him. But the God that we believe, the Christ that came and died for us, his promise was, I will be with you. I'll be with you in the fire. I'll be with you in the trials. I'll be with you on the mountaintops, and I'll be with you in the valleys. I will be with you. And if I'm with you, it's going to be okay. Would you pray with me? today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this promise. We thank you for your assurance over and over and over in Scripture that you're with us, that you're for us, that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt who we are, that we are your beloved children in whom Christ dwells and delights, that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where we are, that we are safe and secure in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God, which is never in trouble. And that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're with us, that you're for us, that we can't be lost because you're not lost. And Lord, help us to know how to apply this truth. Help us to know if it's a truth that we're meant to share with somebody else who who doubts your presence in their life. Help us to know if we're to to interact with this truth on a daily basis until it really cements itself into our lives and changes the way that we behave, changes the way that we look at you, the way that we look at ourselves, and the way that we look at each other. And Lord, for the one that came into this place not knowing you as Lord and Savior, perhaps the the application, perhaps the response is to believe it for the first time that you're with them, that you're for them, and to invite you to come into their heart to confess the sin that has separated to accept your payment for that sin and to commit to pursue a relationship with you however we're meant to respond Lord my prayer is that we would respond now that we would come to the altar and find your open arms that we would leave there anything that has separated us from you that we would Pray for those who need to know the good news that you are with them and you love them. And that we would walk out of this place different because we came to church today. That we would walk out knowing you're with us. Wherever we go, you are with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.